Well, good morning, church. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 13. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. I had this page, and I pulled my bookmark. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Dear Father, I just give thanks to you for our ability to come together, Lord, and give glory to your name as we give thanks for all all the blessings that you provide us. I pray, Father, that... uh, You anoint Jackie as he teaches your word, that we have uh, a heart that's receptive to to hear it, that um, we find new ways, Lord, maybe to apply these teachings into our lives. I want to pray for our leaders, Father, both nationally and, and locally, that you would give them hearts that would be seeking you that they would uh, seek wisdom and discernment, Father, through your word. I want to pray, Lord, for our local leaders and, and leaders in this church, too, Father, that you would bless them and that uh, they could be fruitful, Father, within uh, their circle of influence. I want to pray for our Sunday school leaders, Father, as they teach our youngsters your word and lay a foundation, Father, that would uh, serve them well throughout their lives. And I just give thanks to you in your holy name. Amen. So uh, the Sunday school kids are dismissed.
One of the things we have made an attempt to uh, challenge one another in as we study the book of Matthew is to realize that along with the other gospels, there's no end of stories they could have chosen. The authors chose specific stories because they had specific points to get across, right? There, there's a reason Matthew's telling us the stories he's telling us in the order that he's telling them. He wants us to comprehend uh, the message that he's laying out. And this is the challenge for uh, a good Bible student. A good Bible student of the word wants to be able to understand why is Matthew telling me this? What's he want me to glean? How, how can I make application to what he's talking about? But in order to do that, we first have to pay attention to what he's saying, right? We have to understand what, what he's saying and, and why he's laying it out. And I was asking myself a lot of questions the last couple of weeks because, <clears throat> I don't know, maybe you guys haven't noticed our world's a little crazy, and um, we're, we are, like, so far off track, it, it's mind-boggling to me. And, I, you know, I, I watch the news and I see, uh, you know, questioning of a Supreme Court uh, nominee who, who can't define a woman. And it's not because they don't know what the definition of a woman is. It's because they don't want to raise the ire of the community behind the confusion. A woman is a biological female, period. That's how it has always been. A man is a biological male. It's like the story of the emperor has no clothes, right? If you want to be wise, you see all this stuff that there isn't. So there, for, for, as I, as I guess as I look at it and I think, wow, it's even touching our community. It's even touching uh, certainly Twin Falls. I, I imagine one day there will be a request for events for Pride Month to happen in Buell one day. Um, there are certainly things posted in the library already. So, so we'll be moving in that direction. The world is moving that way. And, and the scary thing is we as um, the older generation have failed. We have failed to teach our children why it matters. So our kids hear the message. Young people hear the message. Well, I just want to love who I want to love. And they don't understand why that's not the answer. Because we haven't taught them. And there was a thing that happened in the church, you know, and I was part of it. So I, I grew up during this time. So I feel like I can speak at least on my generation. So we came through and everything was old and stuffy and very liturgical in church. And the new generation kind of was coming up and we brought in some differences in music and style. And, and we brought in and we just wanted to push out all this other stuff. We didn't understand it. We didn't understand the liturgy. We didn't understand the things, the questions we were asked and the answers we were to give. So we went into the world without the, the grounding that we needed. And we furthered that mistake to the next generation. And they furthered that mistake to the next. So we've lost our grip on what 
is the chief purpose of man. It's not what our Declaration of Independence or the Bill of Rights declares, the pursuit of, of life. What's, how's it go? Life and happiness. Life, liberty, and happiness. Yeah. Anyways, it's not that. But we've lived our life like it is. And then when we make that the core foundation of our understanding, we can't, we've lost, we've given up the foundation by which we can say this is wrong or this is right. Because we forgot what is the chief purpose of man. Why did the confessions matter? Because we taught our children how to answer the question. What is the chief purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And when we look at, when we, when we want to understand, well, which way should I go, left or right? What's going on? If my foundation is laid... In those old confessions, if I understand the, the point behind them, that I recognize that the chief purpose, the goal in my life is to glorify God, then I can ask myself, what, the next question is, what I'm about to do going to glorify him? Amen? And that gives us a foundation to comprehend why, by, why the logic on one side or another is, is faulty. How is it faulty? Where is it wrong? And so we have a, a generation of young people who want to surprise, want, want, to, uh, want to rejoice over life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So what's wrong with Pride Parade? If my goal is life, liberty, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness, this makes me happy. Because I've surrendered to foundation, I've lost my grip on truth. And truth matters. And when we come to the text in Matthew 9, I don't want us to, to make similar mistakes. I want us to come to the text in Matthew 9 and understand the point Matthew's sharing this for. He wants us to know that Messiah has authority to forgive sin. That's why he's going to tell about a man who he forgives his sin. And he's going to call a tax collector in front of everyone. And he's going to have a celebration with tax collectors and sinners that offends the religious because they don't understand that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. That's why Matthew's telling us this. So that we can know that, that that's why we go to Jesus. We don't come to Jesus. We don't run to Jesus because we think he's a good ethical teacher. We don't run to Jesus because we, we think he looks cool with long hair and sandals. We don't run to Jesus for whatever reason we have except for the concept that we recognize he has authority to forgive our sin. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I have to recognize myself, therefore, as a sinner. Because I know... That the chief purpose of Jackie for the majority of his life has not been to glorify God. In fact, I have offended him any number of ways over my life. So I need forgiveness. Right? Well, let's take a look at the text this morning and, and hopefully we can, we can tie the ideas together. It says in Matthew 9, 1, where it all took place. It says he got into the boat and he crossed over and came to his own city. Now, there's a reason why they call this place his own city. I'll tell you what city it is in just a second. 
But this is a place where he did a lot of his base of operations. A lot of Jesus' base of operations around the Galilee was in a city called Capernaum. Capernaum. In Mark 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. This is how Mark begins his story. So Mark tells us we're at Capernaum. They called Capernaum his home. They knew he was home, so there was a base of, of operation there. In fact, in a moment, they're going to do a roof adjustment, right? So they're, they're all gathered now. Now, I don't want you to lose sight of the other thing that's important for us to remember about Capernaum. This is why it's good to be a, a, a Bible student. You read the word, understand What's going on? Because in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is going to say these words. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Because the Messiah based his operations in you. You would expect that, right? You will be brought down to Hades or the grave. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would still be here today. It's a little bit mind-boggling, no? But I tell you, it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Because Jesus was anchored there. He taught them these things. He laid out these things. But their hearts were resistant to respond to the call. So it says in Matthew 9, 2... We'll get, take a look at this first story. <clears throat> Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Now, if you have uh, Old King James, they use the word uh, a man with palsy. It's the same word. It just The English language has changed. The idea is there is in some way the man was incapable of walking. The, the English, once upon a time in English, we would call that someone with palsy. Uh, the word in Greek is paralyticos, which sounds like the word yeah, so, so we, we get the idea this man is a, a paralytic. We don't know why. We don't know why he can't walk. He's lying on a bed. He can't come to Jesus. So he has friends that bring him. In uh, Mark 2, verse 4, it says, Now when they could not get him near the house, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let the bed down on which a paralytic lay. So you could imagine we're all gathered here sharing the word, and someone cuts a hole in the roof and drops somebody down. Now, today they could get in the door. There's room. But the idea is like that. They're in a house. Jesus is teaching. And they're tearing, apart, they're tearing apart the roof. And they're laying this man down. The Bible tells us in Mark 2, 3, just a verse prior to that, that when they brought him, it was four men that carried him. So you have a guy on each of the four corners of the bed carrying this mat with a paralyzed man on it. And... The Bible never tells us the paralyzed man had anything to say about this. It never says the paralyzed man woke up one day, called his four friends and said, hey, would you guys take me to Jesus? I think he'll heal me. Doesn't say that. In fact, if he's a paralyzed man, he doesn't really have a lot of say in the whole matter, does he? His four friends show up. In fact, based on what Jesus is going to say, he's going to commend the four on their faith. He didn't say nothing about the faith of the paralyzed man. 
Because the faith of the person healed is not the contributing factor to the man's healing. Does faith matter? Sure it does. How is it that someone is healed? Someone is healed because the Lord God Almighty wills that they are healed. That's how you are healed. You're not healed because somebody on TV prayed over you. Although God can use people on TV to pray over you. Amen? But that's not why. You're, you are healed because the Lord God Almighty decided. And it does not depend on your faith no matter what anyone says. I know this because there was a dead man being carried out of Jerusalem one day who had no faith. He was dead. And as he's being carried out, Jesus reached up and touched him and raised him to life again. And he didn't say, oh, I'm so, I've not seen such faith in all of Hades. He didn't say that. He just said, he just, it was his will to raise him and what did he do? He raised him. Now, did, were there other people that he professed, he, he, he elevated their faith? Hallelujah. Does faith matter? Absolutely faith matters. Faith is important. We want to have faith in the Lord God Almighty. But there's this whole move that says your illness or sickness or struggle is based on your lack of faith. It has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with it. What is the chief purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay, is it possible that God can be glorified in your illness? The answer is yes. God can be glorified in your illness. Do we like that answer? No. No, we prefer life. Uh, how's it go again? Life, liberty. I always want to throw love in there somewhere, but it ain't. Life, love. No, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I should have spent more time studying in school. Hannah, I'm going to call on you next time. You tell me what it is, okay? So we want, to, we want to recognize. This is why that matters. Because some people will teach, well, it's God's will that no one's sick. How do you come up with that? The clear teaching of the Bible, all I have to do is go to Paul, right? What did Paul say? Three times I prayed for the Lord to remove a thorn in my flesh. An affliction. Uh, a, 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 a tool of Satan sent to buffet me. And the Lord said, no, three times. No, 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 my grace is sufficient. So let me say that another way. God was glorified in Paul's weakness. Is God also glorified in healing? Hallelujah, praise the Lord, absolutely he is. Who decides? God does. Don't let someone tell you you can't be healed because you don't have enough faith. But recognize if you're not healed, the answer may be God is glorified in your weakness. Because the chief purpose of man is to glorify God. Do we agree? We want to be able to glorify God. So scripture tells us they come to him. It says in verse 2 of Matthew 9, behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the four men. <clears throat> and he said to the paralytic exactly what the paralyzed guy wanted to hear, right? No. He said, your sins are forgiven you. You think that guy cared about his sins? You think a paralyzed man cares about his sins. What's he care about? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? So he's, he wants his legs back. Amen? 
So when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you, I'm, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say he was a little depressed about that. Because what he wants to hear is, and he's going to, right? We know the end of the story. So Jesus comes to him and he says to him, take heart, my son. The greatest thing that man needed on that bed was to have his sins forgiven. He didn't need to walk. He didn't need to be healed. He needed to have his sins forgiven. And Jesus met his greatest need. When my children were small, they thought they knew what they wanted. And they had this picture of whatever the thing was. If I have this thing, I'm sure you guys have never heard this because my kids are special. (laughs) But my kids used to tell me, you don't even have to get me anything else. Just get me this one thing. We've all done that, haven't we? We've all done that. See, that's what Jesus is doing for the man. The only difference is because Jesus Christ is God, he knows the greatest thing that you need. One of the effects of the fall, ladies and gentlemen, one of the effects of the fall is our reasoning is impaired. Mankind's reasoning is impaired. I didn't say it doesn't work at all. I just said it's impaired. What's it impaired by? Sin, right? There's things we want we should not have want, correct? So our reasoning is impaired. There's this, there's this test they do with, uh, with pilots when they're pulling certain Gs, right? They can lose consciousness. They can totally pass out in the middle and then wake up a couple of seconds later. It's crazy. There's tests they do on guys who climb the great elevations and they they can get elevation sickness right and they're they're deprived their brains are deprived of oxygen and all of a sudden their reasoning is impaired they can make bad decisions right a pilot can make a bad decision crash a plane has that ever happened for sure or a guy way up in elevation sickness make poor decisions because he's got elevation sickness does a world without christ make poor decisions without jesus christ So we begin to see why forgiveness matters. Jesus Christ came to forgive. Verse 3, it says, Now behold, some of the scribes were there, and they said, This man is blaspheming. Why did they say that? There's only one person who can forgive sins. Who? God is the only one who can forgive sins. So either Jesus does not have the power to forgive sins, or he is God. It's the only choices you have. There's not a third, there's not a D, all the above, or whatever weird things they put on tests. No, you're, he's either who he said he is, or he's a liar. So we're, we look at the text, and they, they are saying, it says, don't miss this, some of the scribes said to themselves. They weren't blurting these things out loud. They're thinking, what did he just do? And probably they're looking at each other like, did you hear that? And the other guy's looking back, I heard, do you hear that? And before they can open their mouth to say a word, Jesus said, knowing their thoughts, why do you think evil in your heart? Let me say that to you another way. Why is your reasoning messed up? 
Why are you always focused on the things that don't really matter? Why does your mind immediately go, just quickly, it goes right to that thing that is not for your benefit. It's not going to help you. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's going to hinder you. Why do you think evil in your heart? And then Jesus is going to give them the test. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk. Now, if I say your sins are forgiven and nothing happens, you don't know if it worked or not, do you? You ever had somebody forgive you and then later on they hit you with the same thing again? And you go, I don't think that word means what you think it means. Yeah, you ever felt that way? So how do we know? How do we know if forgiveness has happened? Because the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees was only God could heal. Only God could do the things that that Jesus Christ was doing. And and God would never use someone who was a sinner. God would never use someone who was a sinner. They're going to have this battle the whole time Jesus is healing and working his ministry. So in their own logic, with their own logic, Jesus is going to say, well, I can't raise this guy up. I can't heal him. I can't make him walk. I can't give him back legs that work if I'm lying because God won't use a liar. You guys tracking with me? So he says to him, he says to him, which is easier? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk. <clears throat> the internal disposition of you and I and everyone on earth is to rebel against God. That is our natural bend. That's what the Bible means when it says no one seeks God. It doesn't mean nobody's curious. It doesn't mean nobody is is thinking about is is there a God out there somewhere. It just means that God is moving on the hearts of people to draw them to him. It's God. God is the initiator of the relationship. He initiates for God. So who did that first? So that makes God the initiator. Are you guys with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, his only begotten son, right? And then the response that whosoever believes would have everlasting life. Okay, so God's the initiator. God's, God is the prime mover. God is the one that is moving and working. So there, the internal disposition of man's heart is to push back against God. So what do we see in our world? Is that what we see in our world? The, the people, the choices, the, the plans, the ideas are always pushing in a direction in opposition to God unless the heart of the one who is a part of whatever's going on is committed to Christ. Listen, it doesn't matter. Every politician on earth says they're a Christian. You know that doesn't mean anything, right? If I go, this, this goes back to the, the way we began. If I go outside to my Harley and I say, well, my Harley is not a Harley, it's a Honda. Did it become a Honda? No, because, because truth corresponds to reality. We believe in a correspondence theory of truth. Truth is what is, right? So if I say I'm a Christian, does that make me a Christian? No. Anybody can say anything they want, right? A Christian is someone who wants to follow Jesus Christ. That's what the word Christian means. The word Christian means a follower of Jesus Christ. The world is full of 
of a, uh, a lot of spiritual ideas. Isaac sent me this question. I didn't get an answer, so he can listen to the sermon now. So spiritual ideas are ideas that say, oh, like I, I'm interested in spiritual things. But a Christian is someone who is following Jesus Christ. He's focused on, I want to I go where Jesus Christ is. Whenever someone tells me they're spiritual, I get, a, I get the, the willies. <laughs> What's that mean? What do you mean? Because at the pagan fest, there'll be a lot of spiritual people. But they're not Christians. Okay? So it's not about what I profess. It's about what I possess. And I possess Jesus Christ because he initiated, for he loved me. When I was yet a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly, right? Christ died for him. He's the initiator of the relationship. I'm the responder. I respond to his initiation. He brings us in to right relationship with God. And so he's saying to them, listen, I know your thoughts. What's easier? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk. Don't miss this verse six. So that you will know Jesus uses a specific phrase full of meaning so that you may know that the son of man, that's a title from Daniel chapter seven, verse 13 and 14. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, I've shared with you before, my personal view is this is a, a vision Daniel has of the ascension of Jesus Christ coming before God the Father after the crucifixion. He says, I saw in the night visions, behold, the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, that's almighty God, God the Father, and was presented before him, and to him, the son of man, was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, and all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom which shall not be destroyed. Who does God do that to? That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will, that Jesus Christ is curios. Lord, that he is God Almighty. That's the profession that is going to be made. So that you may know he uses the title, the Son of Man. You think scribes and Pharisees didn't know the Old Testament? It took a preacher in 2021 to find it? No. They knew exactly. When he said Son of Man, their ears went, what? He's taking upon himself a title of deity. A title of deity, <laughs> and he's talking about his preexistence. So that you would know that the Son of Man has authority on earth, which would imply the Son of Man was somewhere else. Or he would just say the Son of Man has authority. So the Bible says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, face to face with God, and the Word was God. And so here you have him say, the son of man has authority on earth. He wants them to know he has authority on earth to forgive sins. For there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. He has authority to forgive sins. Then he looks at, he, does, he just turns away from those guys. And he looks back at the paralytic and he says, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. <laughs> 
You love how in that little phrase, it just says, oh, so he got up and left. What in the world? Are you kidding me? There's a lot of things that probably happen in that little phrase. No? You don't think the paralytic guy was stoked? Somebody had to carry me in here and I get to walk out and I'm carrying my bed and everybody's blown away, right? But what did Jesus establish? He established in that moment his authority on earth. And it is a, uh, an immense authority that Jesus Christ has. Listen, in, in Matthew 9, 8, it says, you giving me water? You're tired of hearing me go, <coughs> it's so good online when you can see all that stuff. Preacher hacking and coughing. <laughs> Thank God COVID's over. Nobody's running for the back door every time I cough. So that's good news. Look at verse 8. I don't want you to miss this. Verse 8. When the crowd saw th this event, he got up and walked out. They were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Now, we've gone over the last several chapters of Matthew, and I, want you to, I don't want you to lose sight of all the ways Matthew has described the authority that Jesus Christ has. Jesus Christ has authority over illness. He healed people, right? Jesus Christ has authority over the wind and the waves. He calmed the storm. Jesus Christ has authority over demons. Remember? He cast out the demons from the Gadarean demoniac. And Jesus Christ has authority over sin. Jesus Christ has authority over everything that ails man. That's because Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And so the people who were gathered around the room and they saw this healing, they, they proclaimed glory to God. Because they know. They're understanding what it means. There's a man here who can forgive sin. Now, the people who are, there's people who don't like it, right? We know that because Jesus can't go anywhere without somebody getting upset. But he wants, Matthew first wants to draw us our attention to a person he forgives. Someone that Jesus forgives not just a paralytic man, someone that Jesus forgives that everybody's going to be mad about. Right? He's the guy who wrote the book. It says in verse 9, So as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. That's my favorite phrase in the Bible, I think. Follow me. That's the definition of a believer. I follow Christ. Uh, there's times I stumble and fall, but I get up, I dust myself off, and I follow him. As many times as it takes until I see his face in glory, I want to follow him all the days of my life. There's nothing else I want. There's, everything else pales in comparison to the, to the way that my life will glorify God in my following him. I want to follow Jesus. He said, follow him, and he rose up and he followed him. What? That's it? Like, Matthew, you wrote this. Tell us what you were thinking. 
Like you're sitting in the tax booth. I don't know what's going on. You're sitting in a tax booth. All these people are piled up over there. You hear them all shout, shouting and hooting and hollering, but you're over here busy making money. And then what, Jesus just walks by, looks in the tax booth and says, follow me, and you just walked away from it all? That's what he did. That's what he did. He followed him. I cannot hear the phrase, follow me, and not think of Proverbs 8. So I'm going to read Proverbs 8 to you. I've told you before when we study the Bible, the Bible is a story of two paths, two roads. Jesus even alludes to it, right? There's a narrow way and a broad way, right? <laughs> we want to walk the narrow path. The book of Proverbs tells us there's a way of a fool and the way of the wise. It also contrasts the immoral woman with Lady Wisdom. And Lady Wisdom, in Proverbs chapter 8, is a picture of a pre-incarnate Christ. Now people ask me, they always ask me this question, why is it Lady Wisdom? Because in languages, some words are just feminine words. And in this language, the word wisdom in Hebrew is feminine. So you naturally attach a feminine article. It doesn't matter the, the uh, profession from lady wisdom or Jesus Christ. The, the important part is not the gender. I know today that's a big deal. That's not the important part. The important part is what does she do? The contrast or the comparison is between wisdom of God. Was there a day when God the Father was not wise? So wisdom's been with God from the beginning. Do you know that Jesus is called the wisdom of God? Was there ever a day when Jesus wasn't with God? If you say, yes, there's a day Jesus wasn't with God, then you have to say there was a day God was without wisdom. There's a reason why the Hebrew scribes, the, the, the scriptures write it out this way in Proverbs. Solomon put this together. Let's look at it. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way at the crossroads? She, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call and my cry is to the children of men. What is, what is her cry? What does lady, lady's wisdom cry? Come, follow me. Walk the path of Wisdom, not the path of the fool. Why? Because a fool says in his heart. You get it? So Lady Wisdom is calling the men. Come follow me. Oh, simple ones. People who have no understanding. Learn prudence. Oh, fools. <clears throat> Learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteousness. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. And I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. 
I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, even fine gold, and my yield uh, more than choice silver. I walk in the ways of righteousness and the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me, filling the treasuries. The Lord, this is, by the way, that's capital L-O-R-D, that's God Almighty, that's the word Yahweh. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. When did God have wisdom? From the beginning, right? The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up, at the first, before the beginning of the earth, where there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he even made the earth with its fields or the the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundation of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master workman. I was his daily, I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting (coughs) in the children of men. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear the instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my door. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Two paths. One leads to life. The other, death. You are either for me or against me. Luke eleven forty nine says this. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. Who is speaking in Luke eleven forty nine? Is speaking of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in First Corinthians one twenty three. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.30, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. So, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Well, as Jesus is (coughs) calling Matthew, immediately he comes. He makes a choice to follow the path of life. He makes a choice to listen to Lady Wisdom standing in the crossroads, beckoning men. Come, follow me, follow the path of wisdom. It says in verse 10, And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. You know, the interesting thing about tax collectors and sinners, they knew their primary need was to be 
forgiven. The scribes and the Pharisees didn't understand that. Because through their own acts, they were already holy. This is the danger of self-righteousness. We think we don't need a Savior. We think by acts, by works, we accomplish our own righteousness. We do not. We do not. The Pharisees saw this and said, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician. Does a physician do house calls to healthy? No, you say physicians don't do house calls at all. But you get the idea. Does a doctor go to the healthy? No, he goes to the sick. This is the argument that Jesus is laying out. So he says, go and learn this. This is an important thing. Go and learn this. And then he said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. When Jesus tells the story of two men that came to pray, he tells of an obvious sinner who beat his breast and said, Lord, mercy. And he saw another man who said, I thank you that I'm not like all those people. I take care of all the stuff I need to take care of. I make all the appropriate sacrifices at all the appropriate times. I'm good. Which one left justified? The one who understood, I desire mercy. This is what we need from God. Because the wrath of God is real. I know nowadays we all like to talk about love. We probably talk about love a little too much. God is holy love. Amen? He is total, complete love. The Bible declares that God is love. Amen? The Bible also declares that God is wrath. He's not half wrath and half love. He is pure, holy wrath. And he is pure, holy justice. And he is pure, holy love. So what happens to a sinner in his presence? Right? What did Isaiah say when he saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple? What did Isaiah say? He said, woe is me. I am undone. I am unholy before a holy God. And what did God do? He forgave his sin. Jesus is here to say, listen, I come to show you I have authority to forgive. And when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is how we enter into a relationship. We turn from our sin and we turn toward Christ. And he forgives me. Isn't it glorious? And the Bible declares, not does he just forgive you. As far as the east is from the west, he forgets your sin. He purges you just like Isaiah. Because Jesus Christ has the authority to do so. He said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous. Is there a call for the righteous? No. What does the Bible say about the righteous? There is none righteous. No, not one. So Jesus didn't come for the righteous because there ain't no righteous to come for. There are only people who think they're righteous and get in their own way. 
And there are people who rebel against the call of God and say, I don't want you. No matter what you say, I want what I want when I want it, the way I want it. So we come, we see this authority. Hosea 6, 6. We just finished up Hosea. He said, God says, for I desire chesed. That's where the word mercy is, is founded. The Hebrew word chesed, which means faithful love. God says, I desire, is there anybody looking for a wife or a husband who says, you know, I want one that's not faithful? Is anybody for whom faithfulness, faithfulness doesn't matter? I want, I want faithful. I want faithful. And the Lord says, look, I want faithfulness. I want your chesed. Because I know, God knows our weakness, Amen. So God, knowing our weakness, he says, I I want your faithfulness, which means when you fall, you come to me and I will lift you up. What does the Bible say? If you humble yourself before the Lord, he kicks you to the curb. Is that what it says? What's it say? I humble myself to the Lord and he will lift me up. So the way I express my faithfulness to God is when I stumble and fall, I in humility come to God and I say, I have fallen, Lord. Not, no, God, that wasn't me. That was the other guy. I didn't fall. No. We, we are men and women who walk in the need of mercy and grace. Right? We cannot save ourselves. In Micah 6, it says this, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, calves, a year old, Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression or the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Do justice. Love. Chesed. Love, faithful love, love, mercy, kindness, goodness, gentleness. That all sounds familiar, right? That's what chesed is. It's the, you look at the Bible and you say, why does the Bible translate like this? And it should just make it mercy and then it just be so easy. Well, it means more than mercy, guys. That's why. It means more. It's bigger than that. When we say, when we say shalom, and we think, well, just shalom just means hello, or goodbye, or be whole, or, yeah, it's the, the meanings are broad, because it's a bigger word than that. I'm sorry, we're English speakers. We, we have a lame language. I don't know what to tell you. To do justice, love mercy, and walk how? Humbly before your God. Jesus comes to his own and he says to them, I have authority to forgive sin, to heal you, to make you whole. I'm the son of man, the one to whom all authority has been given. In John 5, he says, I have been given all authority to judge the heavens and the earth. Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all these things. What is our biggest need? To come before the Lord and say, mercy, God. I have sinned. 
forgive me. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when He cleanses us, you don't got to keep going back. You're good. Jesus, the power of Jesus to forgive is greater than your power to sin. Isn't that good news? The power of Jesus Christ to forgive, to cleanse you, to make atonement is greater than your ability to sin. He is able to save to the uttermost. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. We're today, as we close, going to once again have a, a time of prayer at the end. And I just want to encourage you. <clears throat> Uh, if you need prayer for any reason whatsoever, please come forward. If the Lord's laid something on your heart you want to pray about, come on up. There'll be people up here to pray with you. They want to pray with you. They won't run out of food wherever you're going for lunch. Let's go before the Lord. Father God, thank you so much for you are able you are able to save to the uttermost. For where sin abounded, grace has superabounded. You are able to cleanse me. You're able to cleanse my heart. You're able to take that faulty reasoning. You're able to give me a, a, a solid foundation upon which to stand so that when the waves and the, and the wind comes, my house will stand because it's built on the rock. The foundation of Jesus Christ. My reasoning needs to be built on the rock. The foundation of Jesus Christ. My salvation needs to be built on the rock. The foundation of Jesus Christ. For there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Lord, I pray by the power of your spirit, you would wake up the body of Christ, the, the Lord declares in the prophets everywhere, I will use the heathen to judge you. And you look around and you say, I feel oppressed on every side and I feel the, the tide of government pushing against and I don't know how we survive and continue, but God, you have called us as your children to occupy to increase, not decrease, to stand against evil. You have called us to do these things. And you gave us your Holy Spirit by which we are able to do these things. So that when you come for us, we are found being and doing what you have asked us to do. You did not call us to surrender. You did not say surrender culture, surrender your neighborhoods, surrender your cities, surrender your states, give them all up to the devil. You never said that. But you did say, you are my witnesses. Witnesses to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came with authority to heal, forgive, and save. And he bore the price of my sin. He who knew no sin for me, that I might become the right. 
you have saved me. Push the work. May our faith and trust and hope be in him. The Lord declared, for whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, for whosoever will say, Lord God, mercy, save me, forgive me, cleanse me with your blood, make me righteous like you, help me be your hands and feet, help me stand in a wicked and perverse generation and shine the light to Jesus Christ that whosoever may call. God, I pray your spirit would move among us, empower us, draw us, equip us, that you would be glorified and magnified, that we would understand and return to make sure we have confirmed with our children and our children's children and their children before them. The reason we are here is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God, I pray that you would move in this place. And as we move to prayer, God, I pray that this house would be a house of prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.